You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressingcrest.org. Well, I hope you're having a great day today, wherever you may be, regardless of what time that you may be listening to this podcast. Hope that you are doing well and that your week is off to a great start so far. We've been looking at several different topics recently on this podcast, Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. We will soon begin a series over many different uh, topics in the days and weeks to come. But before we begin those series of lessons, I've been doing just some individual lessons about some individual issues, and I'm going to do that one more time today. Have you ever noticed that certain places warrant certain types of conversations? You don't go to a football game to talk about the ballet. It's just not natural. And when you go somewhere to relax, whether that be the golf course or hunting or fishing or camping, when you get there, you just don't talk about the pressures of life and the stress back at the office. That's why you took the time to go relax, to get away. It's counterproductive if you spend the whole time talking about stressful things. Even preachers learn that some conversations should not take place at some locations. I remember my first preaching job was in a very small town in central Texas, in Llano, Texas, to be exact, and some of my greatest memories come from preaching for the Llano Church of Christ in Llano, Texas. But I had grown up in Dallas my whole life, and so I was used to Dallas city things. I remember one Sunday giving the illustration in a sermon and asking the audience, you know what it's like when you're just stuck in rush hour? And I just kind of had a blank stare from several faces in the audience because no, they did not know what that was like. There was no such thing as rush hour in Llano, Texas. Obviously, I wasn't making the connection. It was the wrong conversation for the wrong place. Jesus understood that. Jesus knew that location and conversation matter. They share an important strategic relationship. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked arguably the most important question of his entire ministry. And he asked that question at Caesarea Philippi. I want to read for you this 
eventful day in Jesus' life, recorded in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Matthew tells us that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will never overcome it. Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was and who others said that he was at Caesarea Philippi. Why did Jesus choose that place for that question, that place for that conversation? Well, what was Caesarea Philippi like? It had a very interesting history. It was the capital chief residence of Herod Philip. And Josephus, the great Jewish historian, tells us that it was given to him, the city was given to him in 20 BC by Caesar Augustus. And so to honor Caesar for the gift of the city, Herod Philip named the city Caesarea Philippi to honor Caesar, but also to differentiate it from the other Caesarea by using his own name of Philip. And the other Caesarea was about 75 miles northwest from Jerusalem on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. In the year of A.D. 60, the city was renamed from Caesarea Philippi to Neronius in honor of the Roman Emperor Nero, but then the city was changed back to the name Caesarea Philippi a few years later. Caesarea Philippi had an ideal location. It was located 25 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee at the foot of Mount Hermon. So in addition to being a very scenic place, it had a lot of history, which is why we believe Mount Hermon was the location of the Transfiguration when Jesus appeared to Peter, James, and John, shining as white as lightning, which we read about in the next chapter, six days later from this event at Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was the northernmost point of Jesus' travels, and because of its location, it was a perfect place for commerce. Sitting on the international trade route, which ran from Tyre to Damascus. Now, all of that may bore you about its history, but here's what's most important for this conversation today. Caesarea Philippi was a center of pagan worship. It housed some of the Baal gods mentioned in the Old Testament. The Greeks renamed the city after one of their gods. There was a cave on the outskirts of the city devoted to a completely different god, and then there was the beautiful white marble temple dedicated to 
Augustus, which would become a focal point for emperor worship in the years to come. Now, I mentioned all of that for one reason. This environment was even more unwelcoming to Jesus and what he would soon accomplish. Now, Caesarea Philippi may not have been violent like the city of Jerusalem or jealous like Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, but Caesarea Philippi certainly wasn't interested in who Jesus was. It had its own religious culture directly opposed to what Jesus was seeking to represent. And it is in this location where Jesus decides to ask this critically important question about not only who people say that he was, but who the apostles said that he was. Now, it's roughly three months before Jesus goes to the cross. And he looks at these 12 men whom he has trained and taught, rebuked, encouraged, fed, and loved. And he asks them, who do men say that I am? Now, their answers represent the perceptions of biblical history. And they say, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist. In two chapters earlier, in Matthew chapters 14, and really into 15, Herod the Tetrarch thought the same thing. Then they say, well, some, some say that you're Elijah. The Jews thought that Elijah would come before the Messiah. It says that word for word in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. They just had their timetable off. Elijah came several centuries before. It wasn't a direct transition. And then they say, well, maybe you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But you see, they are standing at the marketplace of religion. Cultic and pagan religions surround them in every direction. And this is where Jesus asked not only the people, but his own apostles, who do men say that I am? You know what they say about the other gods. But what do they say about me? The one true living God. And then he turns it on them. He says, now, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and Peter answers, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And that answer was loaded with theological importance. Christ was the Greek word for Messiah, a word which means the anointed one, proving that he wasn't Elijah. He wouldn't precede the Messiah because he was the Messiah. And then Peter says, you aren't just the Messiah, you're the Son of God. You are deity. As you probably know, the Jews thought that the Messiah would be a king. But they didn't realize that he would be God as well. But Peter says, no, Jesus, we know, we understand. That is exactly who you are. 
And once again, I call you back to the surroundings. It was a chosen place for a chosen question. The 12 would have been looking at temples, shrines, even the cave where another God lived. And that's where Jesus decides to ask them, who do you say that I am? Not in Jerusalem, not in Capernaum, not in Nazareth, not on the afternoons that they walked along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. But he asked them in Caesarea Philippi. Today I ask you to think about your own life, where you've been, and what you've done as a follower of Christ. Think about all of those times that people have asked you about Jesus. Or all of those times that maybe you talked about Jesus. Isn't it interesting how very few, if any of those memories, have been at church? They haven't been within the walls of church buildings, but outside of the walls of church buildings. That's because people usually know how you're going to answer about Jesus when you go to church. But out in the world, they're curious. And most of the time, we're asked about Jesus when it's the hardest for us to answer. When we're sitting on that long airplane ride, if you don't know what I mean by an airplane ride, if, if you'll go back in your memory, those are those big metal burrs that we used to fly on before the beginning of the coronavirus. But when you're on that long airplane ride and maybe you're sitting next to someone you don't know and somehow religion gets mixed into the conversation and people ask us what we think or what we believe, how are you gonna answer in that moment? Or maybe when you're involved in a service project and people ask you why you're doing what you're doing, how are you going to answer in that moment? Maybe you're walking down the hallway at school or somewhere at your work and you see someone ridiculed and you speak up in their defense and people want to know why you care so much, why you intervene. What are you going to say in that moment? Will your answer include Jesus or will it be just because, well, it was the right thing to do? When you're standing in the break room at the office or maybe by that communal water jug visiting about your weekend plans and people invite you to do something, but you can't go because church or church activities take the cake and they are more important to you than other activities and people want to know why that is and they look at you like you're so strange. How are you going to respond? When you tell people why you vote the way that you vote, when people look at your social media posts compared to other people's posts and they see that there's a difference, how are you going to explain why? When you're on the golf course or you're at the gym and you don't engage in the foul language or the coarse joking, will people know why there is a difference in your life that they don't see in other people? You see, those opportunities come at a certain time for a certain reason. It's the same reason why Jesus chose Caesarea Philippi in Matthew chapter 16. It was the chosen place for the chosen question. And I go back to the obvious truth that I don't believe is a coincidence. 
Jesus didn't ask his disciples who he was at Jerusalem, Capernaum, Nazareth, or the Sea of Galilee. Jesus asked them at the religious headquarters of the day, the Washington, D.C., the Wall Street, where everything was happening, where a simple, normal, humble man from Nazareth wouldn't make a very big splash. And he wanted to know, who do you say that I am? You see, we won't be asked who Jesus is when it's easy to answer. But we'll be asked when it's hard. When I was growing up, my family loved to go to Rangers games. And one of my favorite things to do was to get there early and to watch batting practice. And we would watch home run after home run be hit into the stands. Many of these home runs by players that I had never even heard of before, players that may not even play in that game. And I always thought to myself, why can't they do this in the real game? Why can't they hit all of these home runs into the stands for the fans to catch? Well, you know why. And as I got older, I understood why. It's because when the pressure is on, it's harder to accomplish great things. And at game time, pitchers start throwing some different pitches. That's not just a fastball down the middle, over the plate. It can be a curveball, it can be a slider. It can be an off-speed pitch. In the real game, it's not easy. But in the real game is when it really counts. And what we do on Sundays, what we do in our small groups, when we assemble with God's people for worship or study, that's just batting practice. Now, it's vitally important for our souls. And it's something that God wants us to do as often as we can. But it's easy. It's batting practice. The real game begins when we walk outside of the doors of the church building or when we leave our small group and we enter into the world and we do our best to tell the world who we think Jesus is. I want to ask you today, when you step up to the plate, to the real game called life, and it's your turn to talk about Jesus, Will you strike out or will you hit a home run? The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that we need to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. And you have the chance to answer the chosen question at a chosen place. And that opportunity is always much closer than you think. I hope you'll be ready. And today I want to finish the way that we finish every episode by asking you, first of all, to keep your eyes on heaven. And secondly, to remember that along this journey of life, there will be road work along the way. But here at Road Talk, we want to help you get ready by navigating your journey.
Have a great week. May God bless you. And we will talk to you next time.